0: Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I am your host, George Sapio, and this week we are talking with Scott O'Brien. Scott is a sound designer and composer, and we met Scott at a talkback after the Kitchen Theater of Ithaca's recent production of Lee Blessing's play, Body of Water. You'll hear us talk about that, among other things, but in particular, the clock. Once we got started, though, we ended up drifting from subject to subject and somehow ended up talking about Shakespeare. I did the only comedy version of Macbeth.
1: <laughs> I have friends who would argue that they are all comedy versions of Macbeth, but you know, it depends on what you do with the effects, you know, if you, if you sort of enjoy it. It
0: needed a couple of laughs. Honestly, it really, I mean, it's its a great play because it's short and it's bloody and people can follow it. But it's
1: a black evening in the theater. I oh mean, my well, gosh,
0: <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, its well, its it's got the things that theater really needs, which is deaths on stage.
1: Well, you know, Othello, you know. Yeah. Hours of speeches punctuated by moments of violence, mm-hmm. and Macbeth. Hours yeah. of violence punctuated by I'm, the odd speech here and yes, there, and yes. that's and you know when you and I've done them back to back, and it is this weird inverse. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the anti Macbeth, you know, you know, doing you know a Thaw yeah. and, and vice versa.
0: My, my Macbeth had more blood than I've seen in most plays. The <laughs> came on, dripping blood from every orifice. And, you know, it's Malcolm, no, not Malcolm, Duncan, with Go Get him surgeons. This is after he actually rips the guy's arm off and he's left holding his <laughs> bloody arm. He hands it back to him. And I'm like, and people are like, you can't do that. Like,
1: Why not? Sure you can. She, the playwright's dead. You can do whatever you want. I've done, I worked for uh American Globe Theater in New York 15 seasons until they closed this past season. They'd done 25 years and had decided that was enough. In New York, trying to sort of keep it together. Um, And did a ton of... Like, most of the Shakespeare I've done, I've done there. Mm -hmm. And they were lovely people to work with. Uh, But we did... I I got a call from the artistic director to do Titus. And... Wow. Which which is a horrid play. It is a horrid play. I mean, that's a a badly written play. The Motivations make no sense. People change sides. And nobody goes, But let's kill him anyway. It's it's like Shakespeare had got drunk with Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. But... I'd always wanted to do it because you can do all of these nice effects and you can do stuff with you know, just scoring it musically. There's yeah. so much fun with it. We had a blast. We scared the hell out of people with it. Oh, it, it was a 99 seat house, relatively steeply raked, so you were close to the action. So uh-huh. there wasn't like gouts of blood flying. But it was close enough that, you know, with the whole thing with Libby and the tongue and the hands, Right. was close enough that you could get the front rows to back up a little bit. <laughs> it was like our job is done. It was, oh, it was great fun. But we did did a did Merchant, did Macbeth, did Hamlet. I was in Hamlet five times. Apparently, he always wow. dies. Um But but done you know sort of the major cans yeah. and had a blast with them because not unlike being here, audiences were smart. Mm-hmm. They came looking to be challenged. Yeah. Um, he was doing uh, the first folio editions, and so everything was very rough and ready. It was not. Stand and declaim. There was, like, people were in motion while they spoke. There was none of that walk or talk thing. Right, right. Um, When they did Henry V, which was great fun, he calls me and says, Hey, we're going to do Henry V. I got to ask for a favor. Sure. So, you know the Battle of Agincourt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I got 20 actors in the cast total. Great. I need you to be 15,000 Frenchmen. Got it. If I give you five minutes on stage, can you can you sonically choreograph the Battle of Agincourt? I have no idea. I'll get back to you. And built this enormous thing that, with their actors and their combat coordinators, yeah. we were able to do in five minutes on stage, and I got to be all the fringe. It was a, oh, it was it was amazing. It was great fun because uh, it was a relatively low budget situation, but they were open to ideas and experimentation, and and rather than being control freaks. So I've been very fortunate to where I've gotten to a point where I don't want to work for people that are smarter than I am.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to work for directors who say, I'm lost or I'm in trouble or, hey, you can do this. Go on, do this. Have a good time. And and not give me a lot of direction on stuff. Right. You know, everybody works to their strengths. And both here at the kitchen and, and down there, people would leave me alone. I mean, I got hired because of the things they'd heard me do yeah, and not because... You know, I need you to replicate a thing I have done, or I want you to do a thing I've already decided on. Um, I think people that that can do their own sound designs should. Leave leave me out of it. If you know what the answer is already, go with God. But there's no reason to make both of us crazy trying to get me to do your work for you. Right. You know, hire me to do the thing that I do, and I'm going to go away and hopefully come back with something that makes you go, that's not what I expected. That's the fun part. Yeah, I, of course you didn't expect it. I didn't expect to be doing the plays I'm doing, and none of the j- rarely do I, I you know, have any input into a script. So the material that comes to me, I don't see it coming. So I have to go and deal with it with whatever it is, whether I think it's good or bad, is almost immaterial. I trust the director, or I trust the producers, or, or I have a relationship well, with you, someone. You have to.
0: I mean, your your yeah. your effect is only so you know. Yeah. Your scope is only so wide. You can only do so much. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can I
1: can only work the I can only work the role I'm working. And yeah. so, since I don't have input into the material, I, I rarely work with, I, like, I'm not called by playwrights. That, that's just not how the world works over here. Uh, it's directors and producers that call me. But I've been lucky with playwrights. But to be able to get people who go, you go solve this problem, and, and, you know, don't bother me about yours. I won't tell you how to direct. Don't tell me how to write. Let's see what we can figure out. Right. You get this nice free associative thing that should be unexpected, it ought to be surprising, with the intent mm-hmm. of working for the actor and working for the play. End of the day, I work for the actors. Everybody will tell you something different. right? And there's a lot of different approaches. And well, of course, it's the director's vision. (sighs) Not in my world, it's not. It's really not. If there's not a collaboration one of us needs to leave, I'm responsible for the guys on stage. And since I'm the invisible man, as are the rest of the designers I work with, we're all responsible for the guy who goes out there and will show you his ass. That's the guy I'm worried about. I'm worried about the people on that stage all the time. Because they're the ones telling the story. I, I'm, I'm not in this business because I am trained in theater. Yeah. Um, I'm in theater by happenstance. Uh, I was a concert musician. Okay. And I uh, was playing in the knitting factory and, and at La Mama and doing shows in New York. And I uh, had started out as a guitarist and you know, had bands and stuff and, and did things. Um Gravitated towards acquiring instruments because I was discarding musicians and picked up keyboards and basses and drum sets and learned and I play a, a multiplicity of instruments and would do concerts and I figured out in the in the middle of a show, unfortunately, that I hated concert performance that I, I did not enjoy being in front of people. I did I, I I'm not uh, a visual or an engaging performer. I'm too busy trying to play the music. Right. And uh, I quit. And um, I came off stage from a thing at La Mama and, when I, and, and spoke to my wife and said, I don't do this anymore. And she went, fabulous. Because, I mean, hock up to here. <laughs> what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but I don't do this. And a friend called the next day and said, you know, you write for theater, don't you? And as all good artists do, I lied. And went, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been to a theater since high school. I
0: can ride a horse and speak Swahili. You betcha, yeah. Bet uh, yeah. While tap uh, dancing? Exactly. On, it. Mm-hmm. On it.
1: Sure. Well, I'm doing a show off-Broadway, and this was before Theater Row was cleaned up, so it was still Theater Row, the slaughterhouse. Exactly, uh, that, yes. That, yeah. the, the, the Beckett, when you thought about going into the Beckett. I'm doing a show, would you score it? Sure. I had not been in a theater since high school. Um, went down and saw the, the play, so got a script. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, I scored the show, it was terrible. I have written from theater from that day to this, and I have never been on stage again. And that was... Almost 25 years ago. Do you miss it at all? Intellectually, occasionally, I get the idea of, I should go back and play with people. Because I used to go and play with friends at CBGB's when they would do stuff. We would do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Because I was part of a a composers consortium that Ellen Stewart put together at at La Mama. And and we all sort of grew up playing everybody's stuff. And uh, Because it was in the 80s, and it was when you could do that, when those places were available. Yes, and, I remember uh, that very well. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, like the Lower East Side was really dangerous, but the spots that were safe haven, basically, Ellen Stewart ruled the Lower East Side. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she she made it safe for a lot of artists to go and apply their trade. Do you remember right. the Great Gildersleeves? Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: All of that. <laughs> all of that. All of that stuff, yes. Uh, now um, that we've all betrayed our ages. Um, you know, so for me, I got into theater because I, 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 ju- I just, as I say, luck and happenstance. Um, intellectually I miss the performance once in a while and I have done live scoring of theater mm-hmm. and and, would, and I'm and chucking around the idea of trying that again but I don't want to be the thing you're looking at I'm not the important thing I, I love to score for dance, perform for dance when Rachel Lambert was uh, choreographing in New York was the same time I was doing concerts we never worked together but we've been in the same room more than once over the years and, and, and only met formally here only met formally when I got up to here last year. It's but, a small world. But it, it really, really, really <laughs> is. Well, particularly in a performing arts community yeah. like New York City was in And the Rachel 80s.
0: gets around anyway. By the way, this is Rachel Lambert, the artistic director of the Ithaca's Kitchen Theater. Yes, and, and my, my current benefactor. One of the hardest working
1: people in show business. That you will ever see. Absolutely. Um, so, I, I think about going back and playing once in a while because it appeals to me intellectually. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see myself doing it. And I don't see myself never, ever doing it again, because that's not how my life works. But I've managed to get away from it for 25 years, and I don't miss it. Because the thing I like is I like sitting in the dark playing the piano. I like figuring it out. I like the scoring. I found I was good at sound. I like the the specificity of it. I like the worrying about the little things, because the longer I do theater, the more I, I sort of go through this. I'm finding that I can reduce what I'm doing and have a more profound effect. Um, I've always had a real minimalist approach to composition. And I find with sound design, although a lot of the things that you may see or, or, or hear that I've done at, at the kitchen seems to be these, these sort of all-encompassing things, yeah. they're not. They're little tiny elements of things. So there are were, there were elements in the body of water Little tiny things. Which I want to get to.
0: Sure. So glad you opened that door. Sure. That's where we met.
1: Yeah. I I was freezing half to death uh, in that
0: uh, show, yeah. yeah. Sitting at
1: a a Felicia's Atomic Cafe. Exactly. Talking
0: Uh. half frozen to death, yeah. The sound design struck me during that, and I usually listen for whatever I can sound Mm -hmm. design-wise because I'm that kind of geek who sits in the back and tries to see all the tech that's going on because that's where I reside.
1: Yeah, you're the people we hate in the audience, because I yeah. do the same thing. I'm the reason I am the reason i don't go to theater more, because I sit in there and I deconstruct it. Mm-hmm. And I don't get what you, the artist, are trying to communicate to me, because I'm too busy trying to see how you did it. Well, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm guilty it's, of it. It's the curse of I'm, I'm, the designer or the creator. And it is. Yeah, we we friends, all do it.
0: Most of my friends and my wife will tell you that I am the worst person to go see a play or a movie with, because <laughs> I'm a playwright first, and I consistently... Look to see if the text is perfect, Sure. and if the text is not perfect, oh boy!
1: Okay, because you can't um, get it out of your head. You can't get the that that hiccup mm-hmm. out of your head, and it ruins the rest of the night. It
0: absolutely yeah. does. Yeah, it's it's like the princess and the pea, and I am such a princess when it comes to this. <laughs> but you you have my complete sympathy. Uh, I get it. I completely get it. So I'm watching a body of water,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there's there's a couple of directions I want I want to come at you. From this, but let's let's go from the beginning. Uh huh. You get contracted to do a body of water. Yep. What is the process? All right. This is this is for the audience who doesn't know how to deal with a sound designer, who hasn't worked with a sound designer before. Mm -hmm. We've got the show "Lee Blessings," a body of water, and rather than going into the details of the show, Mm -hmm. how do you approach this? How do you attack this play? How do you? make sure that what you do worked. Is there a difference between a play that you already know and a play that
1: you don't know? Actually, no. Okay. I, I mean, and, and you'd think there would be, because I, I guess for, for Rachel going back and doing the, the play we're beginning now, uh, Swimming in the Shallows, right. having done the show ten years ago, I think there are things that, that a lot of people will bring back from it uh, that you look at as a director and sort of revisit certain ground. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned I've done a lot of Shakespeare. I've, I've done Hamlet five times. Uh, for different companies. And, you know, there are things that change and things that don't. Right. He always dies. He always I, I didn't mean to give that away. In, Spoiler fact, alert. in fact, they all die. Um, but that's Shakespeare. Except Horatio. What? And Fortinbrough. Um, now, but the casting changes. So what I do, uh, I, I read the script first, whether it be for Shakespeare or for uh, uh, A Body of Water. I get the script and read it, and having never been an actor, I don't read it the way actors do. I don't read it for the information actors get. I read it for entrances and exits. Is there music here? Is there sound here? What is the playwright specifying or not specifying in terms of sound? And I make a quick checklist of just stuff that says here, 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 here. And this is what I think the shape of the design looks like, Mm -hmm. based upon the roadmap of the script. But I don't get a lot of information out of it past that, because I'm not an actor. So I can't tell you if it's a good or bad play. I have to rely on somebody.
0: Do you follow the script when there is a sound cue listed, like, lapping waves come up in the beginning?
1: Do you always follow something like that, or do you make your own decisions? That's a conversation that I'll have with the director. Um, Usually, I mean, interestingly, there's less of that these days. There's less of people indicating any kind of of sound at all, Mm -hmm. and it becomes more a case of, we know you know. At this juncture, design has become um, developed enough that I think you you are sort of expected to read into these things. Okay. Now a body of water, having said all of that, is incredibly specific. It says certain things. Right. And it says things that make no sense when you first read it, or when you first hear the play read with actors, because um, uh, there's, there's car horns, uh, car doors to close. Someone walks into a scene, car door closes. Now they're inside a house. And there is a third party outside the house, and what you hear is car door, and then that person is in the house. Right Now, to me, when I read that, here's what I do as a designer. Car approaches, car stops, car shuts off, car door opens, car door closes. Footsteps come up, door opens, door closes, actor appears. That's what happens to me when I read that. Right. That's what I see. The script says, car door closes, actor on set. And I'm talking to the director, who, again, I had not worked with previously. And we find out we're at completely different ends of this thing. And partially because we're in different parts of the country emailing each other and we have no way to sort of have this kind of communication where you're Mm -hmm. face-to-face. And we both understand, having finally met, that neither one of us does mail real well. Once we get in the same room and go, you know, this is what we're seeing here, we have a very short conversation in which all of these elements I've built I throw away, because what we're going to do is we're going to do what the guy wrote exactly. Let's see what happens if we provide you with just the information that, for whatever reason, he thinks is important. So the scene is progressing, car door closes, actor comes in. Because there's a whole different discussion about what the playwright
0: specifies Mm -hmm. and what makes for the right combination
1: of theater. Oh, yeah, well... Yeah, you know, when you're doing the play, when yeah, you know, I mean, if it's a play written in the '60s and you're doing it now, I mean, like all of these things come yeah. into play with that. With this, for no reason other than once Michelle and I were in the same room, there was this light bulb moment of, oh God, we can do this. Let's let's just see what this does because it's a for those of you who did not see the play, it's a very impressionistic, very strange piece of theater. So I mean, it's like it's, a Hopper painting. It, it, it's a challenging piece that. Everybody we've talked to, it sticks with them long after it's done yeah. because you're not sure about a number of, of important elements in the play. You're left to decide them for yourself. Um, once we decided to sort of take the shorthand approach and do what Blessing said and nothing else, everything took on a greater importance in terms of a design element. Nothing became throwaway. It wasn't, oh, and whatever door you want to have open or closed. there are no doors. There's a car door, person enters. Mm-hmm. The only only places we differentiated from that, or deviated, uh, at the top of the play they are looking out at this vista, and so I added sort of environmental and nature sounds. They are not specified in the script, but not so much were they there for any reason other than you want to cover the sound of the theater. You want to cover the the physical plant of the theater. I mean, because you hear dimmer noise, and there's air conditioning, and there's all the junk that physically is in the building. And I need them to be in this lovely house looking outside, so all I can do is mask it, and the best way to mask it was to put this vague sort of birds and breeze and things happening at a distance, and it's happening behind the audience. So it really is for the audience to hear, and as, as I understand it, from both productions, both the one we did here and the one we moved to Chiva in Rochester, yeah. the actors never heard the environment. They couldn't hear it. The way we built it, the audience got it. Yeah. And they're reacting to something. They're trusting, and it was a funny discussion, We believe you're telling us it's out there because we're making that gesture and saying, oh, it's lovely and I can see it. But we never heard any of that stuff. So we built an environment for the audience, basically, to mask the reality of the theater. The other thing that's in there Mm -hmm. that's not in the script is the clock. Okay, that's another thing. The clock. You and and I, we talked about that
0: at (laughs) Felicia's. And you... If if I'm correct, you claimed that that clock was constant through most of the play? No, it was
1: constant throughout the entire play.
0: Okay. I didn't hear it. I only heard it at certain spots. Okay, so I'm assuming the sound was turned way down at a certain point and then brought back up. No, No, it was a constant sound.
1: It was a constant sound. What what it is... I will
0: swear, there were moments of silence in that play where I heard nothing.
1: That's how hard you were paying attention. That that's that's all about the audience. A lot of of design, a lot of sound design, is not about showing off. It's not about craft. It's not about serving the piece. A lot of it is about moving the audience from place to place. Well,
0: it's it's it well, the whole thing is audience yeah. manipulation. I mean, I mean yeah, but, well,
1: yeah, but as baldly as I can make it. Right. But what I'm finding is, is the longer I do this, you can do it much more subtly. I mean, it used to be when i you know I started doing Shakespeare, you know, when you wanted you'd have to hit him with something really heavy, and it's gotten to where I have this clock that I occasionally use in internal scenes, and I've had it for 15 years. And it's just a clock ticking. There's nothing magical about it. And said to the director, look, time has to pass here. It does not specify. I know we set up a rule. We're not going to play with any reality outside of what the playwright is, is prescripted. But I'm going to put a clock in this thing that you're never going to hear unless everybody in the room is not moving and there is no dialogue. And given, you've seen the play, there are three, maybe four instances where that occurs in the entire evening because someone's always in motion, someone's always talking. It is a very fast, complex piece of theater. So I build this thing in and I make it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then put it in parts of the theater where, depending upon your seating position, you hear it or you don't. So you happen to be sitting in a place where it appeared. Right. There were people sitting not far from you because... I was in the talk back with you. I was house
0: left, who, middle who, row.
1: Who looked over and went, what is he talking about? I didn't hear any clog. And there were others, Yeah, so half, not even half. There are numbers in the house that heard it, numbers that didn't. It's there for them that get it. Um, the kitchen is the kind of a physical space and a physical plant where you can almost design for, if not individual seats, but sections. I can put things in space in mm-hmm. certain places, so... You were in a good spot. Uh, you could have easily, by happenstance, been on the other side and gotten nothing. And wondered, what the hell they're talking about over there? What clock are we talking about? Yeah. The clock ran through the entire show. From the minute the first music cue ended, that clock ran until the bows. And I know where it is, and it only appears four times to me. Uh, we were able to achieve pretty much the same effect at Jiva, which is... Um, in Rochester, rather than being a thrust stage like the Kitchen is, where audiences are very heavily invested on all three yeah. sides, uh, it's a strict proscenium, and so we wanted. I wound up taking a three-dimensional sound design and converting it to two dimensions, which is exactly as hard as I just made that sound, um, hmm. because because the things you build at the Kitchen, you you design the show. I take that back. You compose the show in the studio. And then you implement it, the reality of that design in the theater, in the case of the kitchen. Right. I had speakers all over the place.
0: That's, that's a whole other thing, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Now that you bring that up, which I hadn't even considered, mm-hmm. and I should have, mm-hmm. but proscenium stage versus thrust. Oh, yeah. Versus a needle thrust. Mm-hmm. Versus, you know, a 360 stage. Okay. This is an entire element of not just coming up with the clock, <clears throat> the birds, mm-hmm. the door. Okay. But how you project that, and again, something I hadn't considered, which parts of the audience would receive this information and which parts of the audience might not. See, to me, as, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just a director or something like that, okay? I wouldn't think that that I would only do it for only parts of the audience. But as you're saying, parts of the audience heard the clock, parts of the audience didn't. And that's an element that I, again, hadn't considered. But building the sound,
1: for a p- specific kind of theater mm-hmm. that's got to be fun. Well that's the that's the challenge and a lot of it's physics. I mean the good news is some of it's just physics. It's the law, you know so you got to kind of work with it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it, part of the implementation of the design, a thing like the clock that appears some places doesn't appear others, that's an experiment. To be perfectly candid with you. Um, when I started designing, you know, you worry about making sure that everybody in every seat gets the same show. And you figure out after a while, and for me a long while because I'm a slow study, that the guy sitting next to you is getting a different show than you are. It doesn't matter what you try to put in front of him. Everybody processes the information differently. That, you, yeah. for example, are deconstructing the show, whereas your seatmate is going, that's the most amazing story I've ever seen in my life. And they—they're not they don't care how it's done. Right. So... Nobody hears or sees the same thing. And so I stopped worrying about blanketing the audience with stuff because they're not going to get it anyway. It's it, it nobody's fault. It's, it's just the way humans work. So rather than that, I could concentrate on what I wanted the sound to do as much as possible. Let the the surprise aspect of it, the clock appears, the clock doesn't appear, let that be an important element. I like the chance element. I like the, the idea of... You know, in theater we're trying to control every inch of the thing because we want to make sure everything happens perfectly. And we have voluntarily chucked in a random element. Just cause. And it literally is just for that reason. It's not because I'm, I'm trying to show off or be smarter or, or move the story forward. It's just a case of, that's the coolest damn thing. Like, Why not? We, look at that! That's amazing! And the fact that I have actors on stage who trust me and, 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 you know, my colleagues enough. Yes. To never hear the thing we're talking about, you know what clock are we ta- like? What clock are we talking about? Come out here and I'll show you. But they go back on stage. And go, you know it's gone. Like, yeah, I know. It's not about you. It's about what I can do for the world. But it's not a, it. it in this How do you instance, cue that actor? Because you've got that clock going, and mm-hmm. they
0: can't hear it on stage. Is that something that the that the director engineers well, the, well, at that particular point? Well, in this
1: case, it's not cued to an actor. Uh, or the, rather, the actor is not dependent upon it. Right. They have to sort of trust if it it's If they can't there. hear it. Yeah, they yeah. have to trust it's there. All we did, when, when I programmed it, was opening music ends, and as the opening music is ending, the clock starts. And mm-hmm. because there's already music playing, you don't hear the clock. Right. And so, what we found was, because of this, the, the momentary stillness of the piece, that clock was literally wherever they determined it was going to be. Like, there's a point at which I have to set the thing free. I know there are gaps, and it will be heard. I don't actually know where. Now, because they were very, very good and very concise and very professional actors. Yeah. It got to where, there it is. And I could see it every night because they would hit the same point and yeah. everybody would kind of... But they weren't doing it so the effect was revealed. They're doing it because that's what they do as actors. Right. I just happened they to... They were outstanding, by the way. Stunning. Yeah. Stunning. That was a very difficult play. But to do. they, they were able to reveal this element without knowing they were doing it. Right. Um it, it's a very odd way to design. But I, I... Given the nature of the room and the fact that there are so many angles and places you can play at the kitchen, when I first got there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, June of last year, um, thought, "Oh my god!" And once we started laying speakers around, I have things going in directions that are completely counterintuitive because most of what you do with design is a bank shot. Uh, it's not. What I mean want bank shot. Uh, I don't want the sound coming directly at the audience. Okay. Because then, because then, what happens? I mean, a physical bank shot. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I whack it off a wall, and it goes over there, and eventually it shows up where I need it to be. Because if I point the speaker at you directly, your brain can find it in space. Right. And since all your brain does is make order out of chaos, what happens with stuff that you can point in space is it keeps going, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. And you lose all this information. Um, The best examples uh, are are ambient effects. Uh, Rain or, say, uh, surf. Okay. Because when you go to the beach after about ten minutes of being at the beach, you don't hear the surf you don't anymore. don't hear it anymore, yeah. Because your brain can't find it in space. And yet,
0: these are the things that we buy on CDs to calm ourselves down.
1: Yeah. And you listen to them consciously. Yeah. The reason you can find them is because they're playing out of two speakers. But if I put speakers all around you and balance it correctly, right. eventually your brain throws it away. It's like because, a home
0: theater kind of thing. Yeah,
1: because when your brain can't find it in space, it chucks it. And it <laughs> goes on to the next thing, it works. And so when somebody says to you at the beach, God, that surf is loud all of a sudden you it can comes hear it back again. To you, yeah. So if you can put up enough speakers or place them discreetly enough and level them to get the get the volumes right. discreet enough that you can't locate it in space it assumes the posture and the level that it does in reality and so you're aware that they're at the beach but it's not a scene about the waves it's a right. scene about people at the beach. I'm going to date myself again cuz this is what quadraphronic sound was all about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now with the advent of computer technology, because I have done this with real to real tape, talk about dating yourself, um, but doing it with computer technology, yeah, what, we just to, retro. That what we refer to as the, the dark, the bad old days, um, but being able to do this digitally with computers now. I can lay as many speakers out there as I can get an output to. So in the case of the kitchen, I routinely use 10 loudspeakers around the space for all kinds of things. Some of them are specific point in space elements. Uh, a phone rings here, so there's a speaker there for you know for the phone yeah. to come out of. But a lot of other stuff. I've got stuff up in the flies. I've got stuff up in the grid. I've got stuff over stuck in corners, bouncing off of aluminum plate to try and move it in space in a way that it is not identifiable to you as a listener sitting in those 99 seats where it's coming from. I don't need you to always know where it's coming from. It needs to be there. Right. And that's not the same thing. Because the minute you can find it, now you're not listening to what's going on exactly. on stage. Yeah. But if I can wash the room with it, then you, then you're forced to listen because your brain will stop trying to find it.
0: I worked with a director years ago. I was an actor at this particular point and I was mm-hmm. listening into what the director was discussing, more or less yelling, at the sound designer. Um, and the sound designer had come up with, and I can't remember exactly what the element was, but I do remember the director, who I normally respected in, in most in, in most instances, basically berating him, saying, what is the subtext for that particular element? What are we supposed to get from that? What is this? I'm, I'm, and I'm sitting there, and, and, and there's almost froth coming out of, out of this guy's mouth, and I'm thinking, sound element, subtext, I thought subtext was only for, you know, lines that I couldn't
1: understand. Mm -hmm. Do you think of subtext when you're doing this? I try not to. Um, Compositionally, yeah. I mean, it's a case of, you know, I want the music to do. Uh, uh, I've started scoring uh, Swimming in the Shallows.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Which Um, I want to cover next. And with that score, for example, the note I get from Rachel is funny, sexy. That's the note. That's the whole note. Remember this, funny, sexy. Okay. Now, compositionally, and, and, and so, so you know, it is a funny mm-hmm. play. It's a, it's a comedy. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, I don't think my job, either aesthetically or, or, or functionally, is to write funny music to tell you that it's funny. It's a funny play. Do you write, mostly write your own music for these sorts of things? Uh, almost always. Okay. Um, so you are, in essence, a true composer. Oh, yeah. Not just... Pen, paper, piano, guitar, no kidding. Yeah. yeah okay, Yeah. gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a guy sitting at a, at, a, at a computer keyboard putting stuff together. I can actually do it. Um, there what instruments
0: are, do you actually play? Uh,
1: guitars, basses, slide guitars, acoustic guitars, all manner of electric guitars, pianos, keyboard synthesizers, drum sets, upright bass, electric bass, them to start. Okay. So, I, I, yeah. I've been busy. I acquire instruments as I need them. Um, I learned to play slide guitar because I had an idea for a score that required it. I didn't play one. Mm-hmm. I had six months on a score, and I spent three learning how to play slide guitar. All the slide I can play in the world is on four different uh, theater scores I've written. I can't play, you know, any, you know, uh, you know Skip James tunes. Mm-hmm. I can play the stuff I can play. Um, I, I have uh, the sort, sort of,
0: of fast for a Dwayne Allman co- cover. You'd be, you be, know,
1: I'm lost. Like I'm the, i have the sort of guy like my talent is like you know four inches wide but forty feet deep. You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of that. Um, I like that, I, and, and I'm and, and I'm out of practice playing with other humans. Now, all of that said, you know, as a as a composer, I tend to sort of work against things. So funny, sexy. Then I'll do the sexy part. Let the actors be funny. Mm-hmm. I don't like things that tell me where... Fu- and humor and comedies are the hardest damn thing to do in the theater. Tragedy's easy.
0: I'm, I'm going to say this just sure. once, and you can say whatever you want. Okay. One of the things that offends me the most is the music telling me exactly what I should be feeling at a particular point. I agree. When I go to movies and I see a battle scene with cacophonous... Mm-hmm. symphonies battling each other to, you know, have dominion over whatever. Mm-hmm. Or there's a love scene and all of a sudden like 63 violins come in and I feel like I'm being so openly manipulated mm-hmm. that my intelligence is being insulted. I told you I'm really well, difficult to go well, see anything. Like partially,
1: that. I mean, that is the function of, of design, is to sort of move you in the direction that that the playwright and, and the, the the director and the designers want you to go. I want you to get... The full measure of information we want you to accrue. Mm-hmm. That said, I don't think you're an idiot. Um, I think the idea of if it's going to be a comedy, then there needs to be funny music, and there's got to be you know xylophones, and you sort of have that Carl Stalling approach. Um, I I I don't find that useful. I don't find it entertaining, um, and I and I find it dull as hell to write. Um, to be able to told I've got I can I've got funny and sexy. Those are my sort of watchwords. Well, hell, I'll take sexy. Because funny's gonna handle itself if the script does its job. Funny's gonna handle itself if you cast it properly. Yeah. If I have to underline the funny parts for you, it's not that funny. That's a problem. So I would rather work in contrast to what's going on. Um a lot of times, you know, if I'm working on scenes where the pace is very quick, then, and, I, and I'm underscoring, because there's a lot more of that in theater these days than there used to be, because cinema has had a huge impact in the way theater design works, I'll work out something much slower, much simpler. And vice versa, if it's a relatively slow scene, I'll put in something more motorific, something a little more driving, because I like the contrast. It can't all be the same color. i got to have something in there that puts a little splash and add a piece of it. Um, th- there was, I'm sorry, there was a question you asked about about the design, or, or, or about uh, something about design, or about the aesthetic of, of design that, that we were Funny, talking sexy. about. Funny, sexy. No, before that. There was something we were talking about, and I got off subtext. on this. Br- subtext. Subtext musically, yes. Design-wise, no. Design, for me, is real simple. And what I used to tell students when I lectured on this at universities, design either tells a story, solves a problem. That's it. Everything else is ornamentation. I have no interest in ornamentation. It's showing off. Mm -hmm. Tell me a story, solve me a problem. You know, um, I can't do this play at the beach. I haven't got enough money. I need you to be the surf. Solved a problem. Uh, I need to advance the story forward, so I need this, I need music that, that sort of moves me from scene two to scene three. How do I make this transition? Tell me a story. Everything else is showing off. I don't like stuff that shows off. I am the hardest on my work of anybody. I throw things away routinely. Doesn't work? Burn it. Uh, both musical things and sound cue things. Um, the, the pile of sound elements that I've pulled up for uh, the show I'm starting to work on now We'll probably whittle down by thirty percent. Between Rachel and I, we'll look at it and go. Yeah. I don't know that it needs this. Maybe we're overthinking this part. Fine, <laughs> gone. Um, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it because I'm not the only smart guy in the room. The director's yeah. looking at it from a different perspective. Um, there are some musical things that I'll wrestle you to the floor for. I mean, there's some stuff I'm in love with when I write it and go. I swear to God, this is right. But also, you got to serve the play. You know, is it doing the job we need it to do? If it's not then, begrudgingly, um, you know, I'll set fire to it and go do something else. Because, end of the day, we've all got to agree this is the direction the thing is supposed to go. Yeah. Um, I had a completely different idea for swimming, for a, a, a body of water. I mean, I had a whole other concept in my head before meeting the director. And we had a long, unpleasant conversation online about it. That we, mm-hmm. cause I, I'm in tech, she's in tech somewhere else, so you're already thinking about another show and I'm writing these terse, nasty emails, and I'm thinking, we are not getting close to anything that's going to be productive. <laughs> and I had never better. We get up here for the first reading. Um, I as I had been in St. Louis, got off the plane, got in the car, and drove to Ithaca. Uh, got up here and met her, and a lot of it fell away in five minutes. It was a case of, oh. Well, you were no longer both in tech. I mean, that's Well, a high that's that's part of, of it. Yeah, that that is yeah. truly part of it. And, you know, we should just not be allowed to use the Internet when we're in tech. Her her idea for the her concern about the play was a body of water. One of the things you actually don't hear in the play is water, other than a minor rainstorm. Yeah. They're surrounded by water, but it is at a distance and a remove. You never hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's it. They're sort of on this island, metaphorically and literally. So wanted the music to have this sort of underwater quality. And so rather than going with the scoring instruments that I had planned on, I went back and wrote the whole thing on pianos. So everything that you heard in a body of water was yeah. piano. It's processed in this very underwater, very sort of laconic kind of sound. There's nothing terribly, you know, fast about it. It's all just There's kind of jarring in there. No, it's all yeah. very kind of, you know, just sort of floating. Um, and I, it was not how I saw the script. And once I started playing it, once I started writing it, one, it was fun. It was interesting to sort of approach it from that perspective and to see what it did in rehearsals, to see how it affected the actors. Because I'm trying to get material to actors as quickly as possible for them to use in the rehearsal process. Uh, it used to be. You would um, not deliver music or sound effects until tech. So, I have had in previous years actors come on stage and go, I'm sorry, wait, that's the music I come into? Yeah. And that's not the conversation I want to have to have in the middle of tech where the clock is ticking. So, in there
0: myself, I hate that.
1: Yeah. So, to be able to get stuff to stage managers early and let them work with it in rehearsal, so by the time I get there, all I'm really doing is putting it in the proper space, in the th- proper, proper space place, pardon me, English, in the theater and make it larger, they know what's coming. There's no surprises. I I, I don't think it's reasonable, given what is on their plates, to go, oh, and by the way, did I mention there's going to be ragtime? You know, that, I I know it used to work. But that changes my
0: delivery of the entire next line.
1: Exactly. You can't do that to Where I learn to be concerned about actors, because not having been one, I sort of don't get it. Uh, and for a long time, I used to sort of joke that I think of actors as microphone delivery systems. They're a way to get my things around the stage. I was doing a Shakespeare production. I just heard the
0: audience pick up
1: <laughs> weapons. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no doubt. And and let me say that, that I have backed off from that position by having worked with actors in Shakespeare and I had written a piece and I find and and, and when we're not playing the music there's this lovely delivery and he's crossing the stage yeah. and it's mellifluous and musical and all the things Shakespeare should be and you put the music under it and he starts to speak and move in time to the music and all of a sudden it's William Shatner <coughs> and oh my god and and we I mean, we were dumbstruck and you know you can either say and you cannot say to an actor and I tried that thing quit that yeah. because it there they were musical people it got in their bodies and they couldn't stop. The way to stop it was other music. And you either have the tantrum as the artist and go, but that's what I wrote, it's my intention, it's my statement, I stand by it, and you're going to have to just modify, or you go, oh my God, I'm going to get this guy killed on stage, not to mention the rest of us. Can't have it. Yeah. So I learned to throw things away early and, and respect that there are a whole series of processes going on with actors that I cannot begin to get my head around. And I don't want to. So if I can make their lives easier that way, done. So you've, you've gotta be responsible and responsible.
0: Since we started talking about water and you mentioned that your next play is swimming in the shallows, Mm -hmm. you got scenes with a guy and a shark inside a shark tank. Well, actually a shark inside a shark tank. I hope I said that right. What kind of design? problem can this represent? Because honestly, I saw this play the first time, and I realized there's a shark inside of a shark tank, and a guy on the outside, and they're both falling in love with each other, and I'm still trying to
1: wrap my brain around this one, but... Well, um, I'm I'm a real tech bunny, so when I read the script, and again, not having been an actor, I read the script, I'm assuming, here we are in the 21st century, that it's, you know, projections, and a projection of a shark, and a water thing, and all this projection stuff, and I come in for... The first reading of Lonely Planet earlier this season, and I'm talking to one of the interns, and she bursts out laughing. Like, no, it's a guy with a fin. I'm, like, I'm sorry, it's a it's a what? It's a guy with a fin. Like, it's not a per- what? And I thought she was kidding, and they're all hysterical because you know you <laughs> idiot, it's a guy with a fin. So I I, I quickly regroup. And start to think about, well, hmm, guys, fins, okay. So I haven't started the design yet per se. What I what I have done prior to coming up here is when I go through the script, I go through then this enormous database of sound files that I have, and I start to pull elements that I think are going to make sense. So I have a bunch of sort of underwater swimming kinds of things.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: so just as a, as a rough idea, um, in the, the, the scenes where the shark is just sort of swimming in the tank, and I have to see this myself to see swim, how this works. Swim, 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 swim glass, 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 swim. Yeah, I have to see how that actually is manifest, because it's, it's hysterical when you read it. I mean, I'm watching the guy do it, and it's almost like the less you do, the funnier it is, because it's just so absurd. But I think what I'm looking for is, is kind of a... Because I, if I had the budget and the time, I would treat the voice. I would mic the guy and treat it so I could put that voice underwater, just because it would be a fun exercise yeah. to do. Since we can't do that, um, what I think is, is going to happen is there will be this sort of underwater uh, uh, surround environment around him that he will move through that, with a little careful programming, I'll be able to control. So when he makes the turn at the glass, you'll hear the water shift a little bit mm-hmm. and it will come back. And, you know, one in ten people will get it, but it'll make me smile. And, and, <laughs> and that's really all that matters. It, it's so much is. I mean, uh, uh, what we do creatively... It's pretty much about all of us being ten years old and going. Let me show you this thing I can do. Come here, come here. I'm going to show you this cool thing. This oh, is yeah. the cool thing. You got to see this. That's all it's about. Why do you think we call it playing? Well, that that's that, and that's the point. The idea that you know I'm making some grand statement. It's a guy with a fin. I am just trying to make it graspable, understandable yeah. to an audience who are not going to see it the fifty times I'm going to see it. They're going to see it once, and I need them to go, "What the hell?" in as short an amount of time as they can, yeah. so they don't miss the important information of the play. And then how I do it. That, that, that's the impossible fun part. That's where the rest of the logo comes from. That, that's the trying to figure out, how do I get a guy in a shark fin walking across the stage to appear to you as the audience as a shark underwater making that turn and doing this endlessly? How do I make that clear that that's yeah. what this is? That's the impossible fun part. Sounds great. That's the challenge.
0: If there was one thing you wanted to tell the rest of the theater world about sound design, yeah. what's the most important thing you can think
1: of to tell them? <laughs> that Tony Award thing doesn't make any difference. <laughs> that it's not, it's not, the idea that we're we're competing for prizes and I know, and I had friends call me when this came up and go, oh my God, that's awful and we, and we support you, sign this petition. I don't care. I'm not in the competition business. I don't care who wins. I don't care about nominations. I do the work that I do as well as I can do it because mm-hmm. it makes me happy. From time to time, it makes me money. But mostly, it's because it's how I'm wired. This is what I do. Yep. I don't care if I get awarded for it or not. It's it's nice when the reviews... And I won't lie. When the reviews come in and they they say your name and it's nice, it's a good thing. Oh, it's a very good thing, yeah. But the most important thing I can tell you about sound design is, or about any artistic endeavor is, I stand by the work. I stand by the work. I don't care if nobody else likes it. I stand by the work. If we do this show and it gets killed, Lord forbid. Mm. But, you know, they come out with long knives and there's not a review that says it's good. I stand by the work. Because... That's all I got. At the end of the day, yeah. that's all there is. I stand by the work. That's what I would say. Excellent. How can we find you in case
0: we want you to, like, design the sound for our next play? <laughs>
1: um, I, I have a very minor presence on Facebook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, which is easier to find me because it's, it's a slightly more, arguably, a slightly more professional presentation on, yeah. uh, on LinkedIn. Um, frankly, any of the places that I've worked, I mean... Rachel has been very kind and, and, and very helpful. Um, if you contact the kitchen, if you're looking for somebody to design impossible things, I know they would be happy to put you're you in touch to with do it. me. They would be happy to put you in touch with me. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Scott O'Brien, thank you so very, very, very much for being with us today on On Stage, Off Stage. And I cannot wait to see Swimming in the Shallows.
1: I can't wait to do it to see what you're going to see. <laughs>